Hello and welcome back to the CFD's weekly podcast. This week I'm joined by Jonathan Baumgart. Jonathan is the founder of Atomic Consulting and uh, I also think spent quite a lot of time at FXCM previously. Uh, so Jonathan, maybe for people who aren't familiar with you, could you give a bit of, bit of uh, information just on your background, what Atomic does and that sort of thing? Sure. Thank you for the introduction, David, and inviting me to the podcast today. I appreciate it. So as you mentioned, uh, I'm the CEO, founder of Atomic Consulting. I started the company in 2014. And you're right, I had worked previously at FXCM. And after that, at a uh, bridge and technology provider named Boston Technologies. So I had a good uh, view of both the retail side and then the institutional and tech side of the business. And that gave me enough knowledge to launch my own firm doing consultation work. I began with some IT consultation and a big change I made early on is I got into licensing and regulation. And you know, since 2014, I'd say this industry has really become far more regulated. It's been much more difficult for new brokers to enter the market without any kind of license. So a big thing we do now is we help out brokers with licensing. We can even help find brokers for sale for those who want to buy or on the other side of the coin, if someone wishes to sell their business, we can also represent them and help them find potential buyers. So between licensing and FX, this kind of brokerage activity, not as a trading, but you know, being an intermediary between buyers and sellers, and then other tech guidance along with crypto, we do crypto licensing too. It's in a nutshell, the main services we focus on, along with other things. We try to be kind of a one-stop shop for anything related to FX. Nice. And um, so t today we're going to do, I, th I guess you could call it like the idiot's guide to prop trading, where I'll ask all of the dumb questions that everyone listening wants to ask, but uh, is afraid to ask. So sure. and, and could you give like a, just, I guess, a simple overview of, of what prop trading means in the context of the, of the FX CFD world um, and why, why you think it's something interesting potentially? Absolutely. So to talk about prop trading, I have to talk about the old way and the new way. So it'll take me a few minutes. But basically, those who have been in the industry like myself have come to understand prop trading as a group of professional traders, or we can even say wannabe traders, who are trading either their own funds or seeded capital, meaning capital that's been given to them. Uh, on behalf of some larger entity. And that entity can either sell that as a managed product to outside investors, or it could just be you know, kind of like a hedge fund. It could be something internal where a group of people are trading and you know, they have quarterly or you know, let's say even semi-annually kind of reports and hopefully the entity is profitable. That was the original way. And there's different shapes and sizes. It could be something very large. It could be something boutique or it's just a handful of traders. That's what most of those in, in this industry with some background understand prop trading. The new understanding, though, and this is where I think is, is, is very interesting, is quite different. Now, it does have elements of what I described, but it has some changes. 
this new approach to prop trading is basically a model whereby a, we'll call them a tech provider, will allow amateur traders, they're almost always amateurs, but they could be those with experience, the ability to enter what's called a challenge or a trading contest. They compete against other traders. There's certain criteria, usually based on drawdown. Uh, that's the main factor. So you can't exceed a certain level. And should one pass the challenge, meaning if they're able to make a certain percentage over all the other traders in a, in a fixed time frame, usually it's a month, it could be a few weeks, then they earn a payout. You know, usually it's a, a cash payout. And in order to be in the contest, they must pay some type of entry fee. Uh, that's the whole you know, incentive, at least for the provider to offer this. And then it can go further where if someone is passing multiple challenges, meaning if you prove to the, I'm gonna call it new prop company, that you're a successful trader, they may then kind of finance you or bank you a bit and they'll let you trade their own money. This is more like the original model I mentioned and you can get a percentage of what you make. But that's not always the case. Each prop firm is a little different, but in a nutshell, that's now uh, what we're talking about when we, at least for here, when we speak about prop trading is this new model, which has really taken off and there's companies popping up everywhere that are doing this now. Okay. So if we're talking about the first old school model or whatever you want mm -hmm. to call it, is that something you're still seeing or is that, are, are you saying that the newer version is what people are finding interesting and is, and is what is a more interesting option for companies as well? Yeah, that, so that's a, a good observation. I'd say the old the old model, I didn't really hear a lot about. It came up from time to time. We would help some clients with licensing who wanted to do this, but it was relatively quiet in terms of interest. But this model has revived it, and I'm now getting a lot of people who want to do the old model, and it gets very confusing because they say, no, 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 we want to do this traditional way. We don't want to do contests. But Still, the the majority of those now who ask about prop trading, they're saying, I want to do these challenges. I want to set these up. I want to start my own company. So 90% of the inquiries are about this. However, just to, to fully answer the question, we are getting those who want to do the traditional model more than in the past, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's, if, you, if you're running this new newer model, um... Mm-hmm. Like on the on the face of it, I would say it sounds kind of similar to running to to you know if you were in the European Union giving some kind of inducement to trade, right? So if you think of in the past, I know people would offer deposit bonuses quite a lot. I mean, people yes. are still doing that, but they're not doing it um, in the EU. So are there any problems from a from a regulatory point of view with doing it? Yeah, that's so. Th this is a good observation. It falls into a gray area. So. I'm often asked, do you need a license to do this? And it's going to really depend on the jurisdiction. You know, if you're in America, you, you can't. I wouldn't even advise considering it based on how strict regulations are. When it comes to other parts of, of the world, it's really gray. It's up to interpretation of the regulators. But my opinion is always, when in doubt, the answer is regulation. Meaning, if a, a, a firm were to get to a, a very high level, and we can look at FTMO, that's one of the more popular, more well-known names. I mean, they have to pursue regulation at this point because they're basically the the main name. And if they didn't, I'm sure they would 
fall into some difficulty. And I, I think even as of you know this recording, they do have licensing in a few areas, although I don't believe they start off that way. So it's really very much region dependent. And be, here's the, the challenge in answering the question. Because it's a new product and because you're not depositing your money directly, it falls into a gray area. See, the, the deposit bonuses are no longer allowed in, in Europe, almost certain Australia as well. That was gotten rid of with their product intervention from a couple of years ago because they, the regulators didn't want FX trading to kind of have this gamified uh, aspect to it. But see, that was an incentive to get you to put in money where these are challenges where you're not even trading your own funds. You're just trading a demo account and you're paying a subscription fee. So in theory, you're not trading your real money. And once again, it's a gray area from how a regulator will interpret it. And that could be maybe serious arbitration between financial you know, professionals to say what it, what it, what it's constituted as or not. Meaning, generally speaking, if you want to ask most <laughs> regulators, they're going to say you need to get a license. So if you get to a certain point, I think it's worthwhile. But if you're just starting this off and it's relatively small and you're in a, a place with lighter regulation, I think for the beginning, it's going to be okay because it won't fall on anyone's radar. But to, if it gets to a certain point, this is what we advocate, then yeah, you want to pursue licensing because at some point the regulator will come after you. But what sort of license would that actually be, right? Because you're not, my impression is you're not like a, you're not really set up as a traditional broker. Or are you? I, I don't know. It would be because there's not a license for it. I, I would say the traditional broker license. And that's what we've advised clients. Even even if the license doesn't necessarily say prop trading, you're covered then because a, a brokerage license is going to allow you to receive client money if it's in certain regions, you know, such as let's say Cyprus, they have a dealing on own account, often known uh, colloquially as market making. That basically means you're the you're the the final counterparty to the trade. So if you can do that, then the prop trading is fine. You know, that's even considered a subset. The only other type of license you may want to think about is a money management license, but I don't think that fully covers this because that allows investors to send money to your firm and then for you to invest on their behalf we're here the end user is making the trading decisions so because you only really have a binary of asset management and in most cases a brokerage license then i think it falls under that some regions have what's called an ib license or an intermediary but once again i don't think that would fill the criteria because you're more than that you're actually uh, in, in some ways providing this type of service instead of referring it over. Okay. And can you talk a bit more about the, the revenue model there? So is it basically just um, you start, people pay to take part in some kind of challenge and that's how they make the money or is there, is there more to it than that? It's quite simple, but each there, you know, each company is, is, is a bit different in their approach. So the basic idea is, well, you have to pay a subscription fee or some type of fee to enter the challenges. You know, obviously, the, the company has to cover the technology costs. I mean, it costs money to lease out the trading software, to you know, compile all these stats, to set up all the, all the automation so that if you exceed a threshold, you're kicked out. I mean, all that requires time and effort. So obviously there has to be some kind of uh, compensation made to the you know the 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 firm to do it 
Some are purely doing, I'll say, challenges, meaning they're just offering these challenges and that's it. Now, others will seek out who they think could be, you know, potential, let's say, hot traders. And so the idea of the challenge is to try to find or target very talented individuals who may just need money and they don't have it. You know, so generally that could be students or, you know, those who are just starting off their careers and find that they have this talent, but they don't have enough capital because of age or it doesn't always have to be that way. It could just be maybe someone wants to change their career and they don't have, let's say, 50,000 to put up to try out trading. You know, that's a risky endeavor. So if they pass some challenges, what some of these firms do is then allow them to trade their funds and offer some type of revenue share. So that's another path of revenue for the prop trading firm since they're using the challenges as a way to now build out what I referred to in the beginning as a traditional prop trading model. And the kind of testing period or, or the tryouts are passing these challenges. And then they can decide if, you know, going back to my original model, if they want to, you know, use the returns from the profitable traders just to grow their business, or if they want to market that as some type of bigger package and offer it to investors. Yeah. So is there any difference in terms of like if you were set up as a regular retail broker, then you maybe you can mm -hmm. get people in to do the challenges or whatever you whatever you want to call them. But if you then switch into the, let's say, old school model, um, does does mm -hmm. that then mean because because what you're describing sounds more like a like an asset manager or something like that. And I think Darwin X um who who kind of run a model not exactly like what you're describing but mm -hmm. somewhat similar i think they do actually have an asset management license so would you then need a separate license for that or is that would that not be the case well yeah so if you're if let's say you're a licensed retail brokerage then you could offer this and it would it would fall under those permissions if this the same thing for asset management generally speaking if if i always look at it like this if you have a license for you know, dealing on own account, meaning if you're the counterparty to the trade, in most cases, it's it's also okay to uh, be an investment advisor as well, or to offer these type of services. It's very much region dependent, but generally speaking, an asset management license is almost always a subset of a main license. Not in every region. Sometimes you may need to tack on a few other permissions, but it wouldn't be too much because it's far riskier from the regulator's standpoint to take client funds and and basically the for the client to trade and to handle that relationship than it is for something where it's purely investment. Because then all you have to do is vet the investment advisory company and make sure that the agreement between the investor and the company is solid and the regular knows what's going on. When you're offering the full on brokerage activities you can have tens of thousands of clients, they're all trading. And from a regulatory standpoint, you know, that's far more risky when they're trading their own funds because complaints come up, maybe the, the uh, client doesn't know so much about trading and they have an issue, they make a complaint, they don't understand the market, where if it's prop trading, that's even easier to regulate it because you can't really complain to a regulator on a demo account if, if virtual money was, you know, was misallocated. And that's easy to <laughs> rectify as well. So, yeah, but what, what I yeah. mean is more um, mm. that if you then move into the 
to the to to um like someone does really well in these challenges and the company mm -hmm. that is offering them then goes okay you're really good we'd like you to trade our money so with mm -hmm. that so that wouldn't require a separate license uh only really only if you want to market that it's 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 an interesting question if you want to market it out to others then yes if you want to if you want to build this traditional prop firm and it's something private then no because if you're just sourcing traders if you're providing them capital really you don't need it if it's if it's something in inside the company and the capital comes from you the challenge always is on banking so let's say now let, let's change this a little bit let's say that you offer someone uh you say look i think you're good We'll, we'll do a matching system for you. So if you put in 10,000, we'll match you. Then you need a license because now that trader is sending money to the company and, and, and that's now a liability uh, from a regulatory standpoint. What if they, you know, what if they send the money and the, you know, the, the firm runs away? So if you're going to do something like that, then you need to be licensed. If you're going to offer this to others, in the case of DarwinX, if you're going to package it and other people can be passive followers into the system, you also need licensing for that because there's all kinds of liabilities. But I don't really think you need one if it's purely private. If you're just uh, sourcing out traders, they're trading on your behalf, you probably need some legal agreements to understand what you know the limitations are. But a regulator doesn't really need to bless any of that because it's kind of just a, a contractual agreement between the main firm and the, and the person doing the investing. And usually courts can arbitrate that. It's not, it doesn't have to go to something regulatory. Yeah. And so, I mean, maybe a, a follow-up to that as well um, is if you did, like, I think Darwin X's way of marketing the, whatever they're Darwin's, I think they're called, uh, is, a, is like kind of unique, I guess, or it's quite, quite interesting how they're doing that but it in theory if you wanted to then move into this i don't know what to call it like uh, almost like an asset management type setup so mm -hmm. you you go okay i'm a i'm a broker type firm that's offering this these challenges i've got a group of people um who i think are really good and they're making money from trading but I maybe i don't have a huge amount of capital to give to them so i can't keep it mm -hmm. like what are your what are your options then i mean would it be would you go to let's say some big investor and ask them to put in money or is there a way of marketing that product or that fund whatever you want to call it to to other people that could then give you money yeah to with, basically you know in this type of scenario and it, these questions do come up i would advise the person to sort that out before they start attracting traders and making promises because you know then you're you're in a difficult position if you find out they're good and you and you can't provide the the necessary financing so you can there's 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 different ways i don't know if something if off the top of my head if darwin x would do this on let's say some kind of manual basis without using their tech or if that's all kind of automated in their system uh, or if you could approach them, you could also just approach a broker and you can maybe mention to them what you're looking to do, show the track record. Perhaps they work with other investors or they would be willing to invest. You could also go to another prop firm, a larger one, and bring this up. So you would have to at some point find something outside of what you're doing. But generally, 
going back to my, my point, you don't want to put yourself into that position to begin with because you waste an opportunity. You've kind of wasted someone else's time as well. If you found out they're good and you can't stake them, then, I mean, you need to think of what the end game would be in that case. And so yeah. ultimately they might find out they're good and you lose the opportunity. They, they, they learned on their own. And so they go off and, and they find a company that can help them. So, and one of the points you just touched on there is on the mm -hmm. tech side of things. So how easy is it to set up this sort of um, like, well, this new prop trading system with, let's say, run of the mill existing uh, retail sure. broker tech? Does it require something yeah. else? Or... So there's been a lot of changes in, in the industry. I mean, we're, you know, we're speaking now in the fall of 2022 and it's very unclear if uh, MetaQuotes will be offering this to new clients. I mean, I know there are existing prop firms that are using MT4, or MT5, but from what I've seen, and I do talk to a fair amount of brokers, I talk to traders, I talk to those who are in liquidity providers. So I have a pretty good perspective in the market. I don't see new prop firms being approved by MetaQuotes. Uh, please don't consider that that means no. Uh, it's we we don't know what the criteria is in MetaQuotes at the moment or if that will change. But based on the direction I'm seeing, I would be shocked if they began to onboard prop trading firms that are unlicensed. Putting even the prop trading aside, it seems that new white labels simply are not being given out to any unlicensed entities. And so there has to be then alternatives. I mean, for full disclosure, I work with a company called FDC Tech. Uh, it's a company that's based in the United States. It's a publicly traded company. So everything is fully transparent and they have their own technology that can be used as a replacement for MT4 and MT5. So that's one alternative to consider. And what I always tell clients who, you know, when this comes up, because a lot of people bring up the point, well, how about this company? They're using MT4, MT5. And I just mentioned, yes, you know, they were approved before all these changes happened. Feel free, go out and try, you know, don't take my word for it. See if you can get approved. And if you don't, then have a plan B. And so that's something that, you know, we can help you out with is we have a plan B in case you're not able to get uh, MetaTrader. Okay, but uh, what I what I meant really there was um, mm. if you are if let's say you're setting up, uh, you know, you're an existing broker, or maybe mm -hmm. you're a new one, and you're thinking of offering something like this, and you mm -hmm. want to when you when you're setting up the initial challenge part of the process, do you need any add-ons that they might not already have, or or is there something different in the in the sort of technological mix? If I can use that phrase, sure. Uh, that that maybe you, you a regular broker wouldn't have. Yeah, the main the main aspect that a regular broker doesn't have is some kind of mechanism to automate a lot of the challenges. I mean, you could do it manually, meaning you can look at every account and mark to market at a certain time and see where where the equity stands. But uh, there's you know technology is sophisticated enough now that it is possible to automate the process where if the drawdown threshold is ex exceeded, then that account is automatically taken out. But that that is something that's ancillary to any kind of trading platform. Almost no trading platform has that built in. And to take it a step back, what are kind of the ingredients or the components? Well, 
you need a front end, you need a trading platform. So that usually in the, this day and age is a mobile platform, you know, something web-based and then something for PC, obviously, so you can trade. Then you need some technology to process the registration. So I go to the website and put in my information and all of that then gets created and my account gets set up. You know, you need some type of, of tool. Usually that's called kind of colloquially a CRM uh, system. And there's, there's firms out there that specialize just in that. And it then connects to the trading platform. And then getting back to what I mentioned, you will need something additional to augment that that will help to manage the challenges. And usually it's kind of an add-on in a uh, technology provider's back office where all those settings are made. Some of them are kind of out of the box for most brokers, but others aren't, especially having, let's say, uh, a model set up where you can easily configure these challenges because that's really something very new. And that component, I would say, is for the most part still kind of underdeveloped. There's only a few firms that really offer that. So I hope that kind of addresses the question. No, no, yeah, definitely. I guess the other question I would have on this is, are there any... The, one of the first questions I asked, right, was on whether this would be considered uh, like a, an inducement to trade in the same way that mm -hmm. deposit bonus would be. So are there any, I don't know, regulatory restrictions or, or things people should be aware of in terms of how you go about marketing this? Like, is it, are you quite free to do what you want or are there similar, like, things that blocks in the way? Yeah, I, I, on the marketing, it's, it's also a gray area and I would, I would be very careful, uh, in, in turn, if you're unlicensed and doing the marketing, I mean, especially, I mean, like I mentioned, us is off limits and in the EU, realistically, they would interpret that as, you know, as trading. So I think they're probably for some of these companies, because it's so new, there's probably leeway. But it's not a good idea because what you don't want to do is build up a huge marketing campaign or presence and promote something like this. And then one day it gets too big and regulators step in and put pressure on, let's say, if it's Facebook or Google and say, sorry, you know, no more, no more ads like these. And I, I think for that reason, a lot of this has gone in a different direction in marketing where it's being driven a lot on YouTube by... I don't like the term influencers because it means too many different things, but generally that kind of idea where there's, let's say, uh, you know, people who create a following for trading education. And then as a supplement to the education, they offer the prop trading. I mean, I think there is open uh, in terms of marketing because you're not, you're indirectly promoting it. You're, you're saying, follow me and I will teach you how the market works. And then if you want to you know, learn more about this uh, prop trading or after you've taken my courses, you can follow this. Sometimes they don't even have education. They just say, look, let me tell you everything about how prop trading works. Let me recommend some companies. So it's kind of done on this level versus how brokers often market, which is much more traditional, more direct ways of marketing. Facebook ads, Google keywords, maybe email blasts to those who sign up, those type of things. Yeah. And are there any, is there any way of connecting, let's say, a regular broker with a setup like this? Because, yeah, I mean, if you think of the, a regular broker that's running, let's say, B-Book, A-Book type model, mm -hmm. um, and then 
you bring in people who can actually make money uh, from trading, that might not end sure. up go going that well for them. So uh, is, it, is it possible to connect the two or is it like a totally different business model? Well, that that's uh, the the business model is different, but most brokers possess the technology. I would say a, a majority of it already, because you're using the front end platform of the broker. You're uh, already using kind of a, a CRM system if you're a you know a live broker, and then all you need to do is just tweak the contest rules or the challenges a bit, and that would take some work. But the infrastructure is always, is already there. It's like putting an addition on a house. It's not a lot of work, and I think a lot of brokers are exploring the model now. Some I don't know if they're if if they would incorporate it into their regular business or if they would perhaps do a spinoff, uh, similar to how some brokers do education or uh, kind of market analysis, where it's an arm of the company but it's not directly under the name. So. I've seen that approach or others just to bring it in and, and they, and they just have it as a, another option that other, you know, that in addition to all the other things, because if you're regulated, like, you know, going back to what we spoke about, you can easily add this to what you're doing as well. And it's no problem. Yeah. Nice. Interesting. Um, maybe to finish yeah. off, I mean, one of the, one of the topics that you touched on earlier was um, one of the big platform providers that has uh, been in the news lately, mm -hmm. uh, and there are some some <laughs> yep. people uh, that basically I'm, I get the sense from some people that this is almost like a turning point in the industry, and it's going to be lead to big changes and things like that. I, I don't know if that's really the case or not. It's it's always hard to predict the future. But do you have any any thoughts on that? What what direction things are going in? Do you think there will sure. be any major changes, or will things just continue as before? Yeah, I think it's definitely ushered in some changes, mostly because they're, this kind of exposed light on the, the one drawback to relying too heavily on third-party technologies. This was something that a lot of bigger name brokers were doing, I would say, years before, that a lot of names, you know, Saxo Bank, for example, they have their own platform. A lot of bigger names, because they had the revenue for it, I would say, invested in their own tech. And, and then offered third parties to provide, let's say, the, the full suite to clients. Not every broker could have done that, though. But those who invested in their own tech, um, you know, have absorbed these changes a lot easier than those reliant purely on third parties. So I think it was a wake-up call to the industry that it is you are putting all your eggs in one basket, so to say, by relying on a third party. And even, even if it's a popular one, then, you know, uh, if something happens, you really take a hit and those who, you know, were prepared had, had at least another option, you know, were able to withstand that, that blow a bit better. And so I definitely see a lot more competition coming in, even, even if, let's say, next week everything is fixed. I think, you know, this has created some ruptures and there will be more competition. I think uh, companies will be open to looking at new platforms and exploring them now uh, just for risk mitigation. I mean, in the, you know, a, a lot of trading is about risk mitigation, but now you need tech risk mitigation in the sense <laughs> that you don't know from, uh, from week to week. And, and I think a big challenge is, you know, when, when there is a kind of something that's ubiquitous almost in the market, uh, it can be easy to think that it will always be that way and last 
but it's never that way. I mean, things constantly change when it comes to tech, when it comes to anything. And the best way is to be prepared and to have other options. And I've, you know, just the, as, as a, an addendum to that, I would say there always is a drawback that it, when you compete with something that everyone else is using, to win that client over, you're up against the other 999 companies offering it, where having your own tech or having something you invest in, you actually get a kind of a more loyal client because they'll get used to or accustomed to the, the technology you have. And they actually, for the same reason that it's easy to peel away traders who are using the third party tech, it's much easier to, to have a more loyal client using something that's that's more unique and, and, and boutique because they get used to it and become comfortable and they don't want to move away. So there also is an advantage in, in doing that as well. Cool. Well, um, that's all very interesting. I think this is probably a good point at which for us to stop. So Jonathan, thanks very much for, for joining me and hopefully we can chat again at some point in the future. My pleasure. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I appreciate it and I, I look forward to speaking to you again.